for me to say, I am, I am not great at arriving at a diagnosis. I am not great at, you know, one of these are doing surgery. I am not great. I am not great. I am not great. The only thing I hear, I can learn how to make a better diagnosis. Right. I can learn how to get a better clinical history. I can learn how to do better surgery. I can learn how to slow down. I can learn how to, you know, uh, acknowledge the capabilities of the staff. I can learn how to do these things. Welcome to the podcast. All right, guys, thanks for joining us again. Another podcast here. Uh, we're into our kind of third uh, recording session, uh, which should be coming out here pretty soon for y'all. Um, today, we're actually going to talk about another one of the major problems on our industry overview. Um, we kind of identified culture, service, and talent as being three big issues within the veterinary profession. And of course, last uh, week, we talked about culture. So this week, kind of talking about talent. Um, you know, I think when we talk about talent, uh, it, it, it's really important for us to not talk about uh preclinical students, clinical students, pre-graduates, post-graduates. I, I think what happens with the discussion of talent on quote-unquote today's generation mm -hmm. is there is unfortunately a lot of negative stigma that has come with the millennials, more so just because elders are sort of passing judgment. Yeah. It, it generate, I always believe generations are a yeah. means for other generations to complain about the youth. <laughs> always. Always. You know, I mean, like I said, I, I, I'm like the world's best people watcher. I've been watching the movement of people since I was five. Yeah. You know, one of my earliest memories is just listening to conversations of like my grandparents. And I mean, my great-grandparents, it was an Italian. I never knew what the hell they were talking about. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, coming down into, you know, saying it's like, huh, for the last 30 years, all I've heard about is old people complaining about young people right. and then middle-aged people complaining about younger people. Yeah. And it was always like, I was just kind of standing on the outside. I'm like, why is everybody complaining? I'm like, you were the ones they were complaining about 20 years ago. Just right. everyone needs to calm down. But, you know, I think when we talk about talent, we need to be cautious that we really aren't passing judgment on, um, whole groups of people is it's mm -hmm. you know more so of in in this sort of talent category when we look at sort of you know our industry overview is what we're talking about talent is it's not they're less intelligent because that's not the case no um, you know I, I i think that's another thing that comes with these sort of generational gaps where it's like ah oh, kids today are lazy and dumb it's like you know let's let, let's put in a perspective here um no one actually knows how the pyramids were built i mean there are a lot of theories on how they were built i mean right. you know, the rolling uh rolling platforms but i mean i think we're, we've gotten very close to figuring it out there were people a hell of a lot smarter than us back then mm -hmm. figuring that shit out with stone mm -hmm. tools. And today we still haven't figured it out. So let's just be a little humble about yeah. who we're calling, you know, dumb and lazy. Um, and actually Joe Rogan had a, a pretty funny bit in a stand up on Joe Rogan live about that, uh, about mm -hmm. the stone cutters. It, it's one of, one of my uh, more favorites. We'll, we'll link it in. The yeah. We'll link it in. Yeah. That's fine. I think, yeah. yeah that's, anyway, back on topic here. So, um, <laughs> when we talk about talent, you know, as far as the industry overview is concerned, um, you know, I think that the big thing when you look at all the issues that we're having with talent currently and you, and you kind of cone it down to one individual piece we have talked about a little bit in our past cast is that um, it's a loss of self-worth. Yeah. 
And, you know, I think we've said it a few different ways. I mean, you know, I, I turned it as loss of self-worth, but really it's the loss of individuality. It's the loss of autonomy. You know, it's just you are going to plug into this system and this system exists and this system has always existed. Um, and this traditional system is this is who you are now. And the other alternative from tradition is corporate. Mm -hmm. And in that environment, you have even less individuality. Right. <laughs> you know, um, but I think, you know, the... I, if you can, you know, uh, I'm sure we, we can display our industry overview yes. here, uh, here um, on the video just so everyone can kind of follow along. And um, this can be uh, available for download as well. Mm -hmm. um, but this this diagram is incredibly strategically uh, placed. Um, and that's just kind of how mine works. My mind works as a mind map um, is that if you look at that talent category and the three um, kind of sub problems within talent with this loss of self-worth is we're talking uh, hierarchy uh, deteriorating skill set and then this debt to income ratio. Well, hierarchy is right next to the culture uh, hexagon. Mm -hmm. And the, the reason why I kind of placed it in that category is all of the stuff that we talked about kind of in our culture section is that when you start to see this hierarchical system being taught at the university level to then carry over into private practice, mm -hmm. um, that's where we start to have this huge issue with loss of self-worth is it's like, well, um, I'm just a veterinary student. I don't know anything. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, because that's what you're taught. That's what, you know, your instructors, this culturally, they're sort of bringing to you. And that's part of that disparagement. Um, that's why in the culture circle or the culture uh, hexagon, you can see that disparagement is the closest to the loss of self-worth. And that's why those two things are aligned with one another. And so when we start to talk about this hierarchy, um, it's, it's like we identified before is that this, the hierarchy in place where it's this top down distribution of information is you always have to look up for the answer. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, saying this is, these are the people I have to go to for this. These are the people I have to go to for this. Um, and I, I think to a certain degree that works in some professions, um, some industries. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you're talking about an environment where we are now taught that once we get out of school, not only is there a hierarchy, um, but now somehow we went from being the bottom of the totem pole to then the top of the totem pole yeah. day one of graduation. Yeah. Flick of a switch. Flick of a switch. It's like you're in school and it's like I am garbage. You come out and it's like you're the vet now. Yep. You have to have all of the answers. I wasn't uh, ready for that. You have to be able to train at all levels of the clinic that you're going to go work in. Absolutely. And you have to know everything uh, medically. Yeah. Well, exactly. And that, that was actually my perspective when I first got out of veterinary school. Um, I actually I have to I have to credit um, a lot of my classmates when I, I went through school, um, uh, Laura and Catherine, and there's a couple of these other uh, students that were in my class. And they and they may not remember saying this, but it stuck with me from kind of that first year of vet school. Um, you know, and, and uh, I'll, I'll, they basically said, you know, you're arrogant, you know, that we love you. You're very personable, but you're kind of an arrogant asshole. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, basically saying when you get out of private practice, practice, we are not going to allow you to go through this school system and mistreat your technicians. They're like, you have it in you to really be an ass. Right. And, um, you know, I remember, and like I said, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but I just remember that was always one of those big discussions, uh, you know, that we, it would come up intermittently and they may not remember it, but it has stuck vividly. Um, 
but you know, the idea was when I got into school, it was it was exactly that. Is I had always maintained this sort of humble thing where it's like, okay, if I have this propensity in me to mistreat people simply through either my knowledge or just the way in which I care myself, I need to be cognizant of that. Yeah. But when I first got out of school, I still had that ingrained culture mm-hmm. where this hierarchical system is then saying, well, I'm going from bottom of the totem pole to then top of the totem pole, and you're not prepared to be top of the totem pole. Um, but then when you sort of get into a private practice setting, it's still sort of the same top-down stuff. Is You may have lost, as a veterinarian, you may have lost self-worth when you were in veterinary school, but then you come out and it's like, oh, well, I am the veterinarian now because that's what I need to be and that's what the job is going to dictate. And then it's like, well, now I'm sort of top of the totem pole, but I don't really have a lot of the skills to be at the top of the totem pole, but I am because that's what the culture says. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, and then when you, you know, you're, you're, you're above your technicians and you're above your medical support and you're above your caregiver support, and by God, you're definitely above your your caregivers your clients right because right. i know all of the information well, i know more information than they do mm-hmm. so when we talk about this loss of self-worth when we talk about talent um is it's very dynamic so it's yes on one hand veterinarians themselves are taught that they have very little worth when they're in school, but we perpetuate that when we come out into veterinary school where it's like, oh, well now we have a new technician who's coming into our um, organization or we have an unlicensed assistant coming into our organization. And it's the same thing. You will be in your place. Yeah. You, you, this is what you, this is the role that you have mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we touched on it a little bit, but I, th- I think the big thing is that when you have um, innately creative individuals or, um, uh, um, you know, um, highly intelligent individuals mm-hmm. um that's uh, among the worst things that can happen to you mm-hmm. as as uh, someone in, um, in a very creative role or um in a um, um you know, very official role that goes, mm-hmm. you know, from a medical standpoint is sort yeah. of this loss of self-worth. But the hierarchical system is the cornerstone. That's why it's kind of at the top of uh, the the three items within uh, that particular hexagon is because as soon as we learn that there's a hierarchy, as soon as we um, embrace that there is a hierarchy, it's just a complete deterioration of sort of everyone's individuality and everyone's right. sort of self-worth. Yeah, and, uh, you know, thinking about that even just more on a broad cultural perspective, you know, one of the things that I've heard since I was a kid and everyone's probably heard along the way multiple times is, you know, if you find a job you love, you never work a day in your life, right? Well, the reason that everyone says that is because they're probably ending up in one of these positions, regardless of industry, where, yeah, you're not really yourself entirely. Right. And you're just, and yeah, you're a part of the, this machine, um, that, that did work, uh, whatever industry it might be. Um, and at some point in time, they all functioned, yep. but they've all, you know, a lot of them have gotten outdated and then they end up going from like, yep, I have a purpose to now I'm just a piece of this and I don't really have a whole heck of a lot of value. That's one of the reasons why you take the auto industry as a, as a side comparison. That's why everyone still continues to praise Toyota over most other auto manufacturers mm-hmm. because they provide the autonomy, even if it's this much to completely stop their entire line. Like, yep, you're going to problems. Like, if you see something that's bad, you have every right to be an individual and take action on it. The red button problem. The red button, Mm -hmm. um, which most industries can't handle that because they're they're super numbers focused. And not even industries, I should say just companies. Yeah. Um, Because there are, I, I would almost argue that we might not know them all. 
but there are there yeah. are your outliers in every yeah. industry. Yeah. Well, and it's yeah, it's funny you bring up the red button. Pro- you you introduced me to the red button problems a, mm-hmm. a year and a half ago or what have you, and mm-hmm. and I had attached to that right away because you know I, I had made the joke very early on and saying you know when we're creating this company, yeah, technically there's a corporation, but we're not really following this quote unquote corporate model because it actually it is maintaining autonomy and actually individuality and business ownership. And I mean, there's more to it than just saying the word corporate. Um, but that was always my concern is I was like, okay, if you start to have a corporate infrastructure, even if it's a managerial infrastructure, you're not saying corporate in the sense that we're owning all these practices, but maybe there is a management element to it. Mm-hmm. The concern I always had was a ground floor employee who really sees that there is an innate problem in process. And that's one of the big things we focus on all the time is um, uh, a process and procedure and policy, um, you know, and, and you know, we're, we're looking for, you know, individuals and leaders who can look at broad topics. And we kind of talk about the ABCD employee where mm-hmm. you can let out rough guidelines and they can function within those. It's the A1, A2, A3, A4, and B1, B2, B3, B4, those employees. Those are very, very difficult to maintain because they want everything laid out for them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think looking at those employees and saying, well, um, you know, from a hierarchy standpoint is if we have all these people where all they do is just want to ask questions, or not, I'm sorry, not ask questions, but look for direction, look for direction, mm-hmm. look for direction, look for direction, you can tell that person has lost autonomy. Yeah. You know, is yeah. you know, they have really lost through the education system, through whatever system they have been in. It's just like, well, what do I do now? What do I do now? What do I do now? So getting back to um, you know, the, the original point here was that, you know, I had this fear in a managerial system, in a in a corporate system or whatever it happens to be, is this red button and saying, well, what happens if we have this ground floor employee see something and what, what is the chain of command they have to get through in order to get that red button heard? Is it yeah. just a little like little clicker or is it a huge tornado siren where it's like, no, there is a problem here. And I had, I had um, made the statement one time that if there was ever a circumstance where there was a significant red, red button problem from that employee to me and that problem got stifled out somewhere and we started to fail on patient care, we started to fail on caregiver compliance, we started to fail on our education process that person identified a problem they may not have had a solution that's the big takeaway here you don't have to have solutions when you identify problems mm-hmm. it's helpful if you have solutions <laughs> to the yeah, problem um, you know but the the thing is if we have identified that problem um, everyone between me and that person gets fired because if there was someone who stopped along the way that there was a legitimate problem in process that was affecting patient care that was affecting you know whatever it was uh, mm-hmm. in that capacity and of course it was just me bolstering it's not like a fire run between me but it proves a point in saying why is it that in a, in a in a hierarchy system which a hierarchy system doesn't work but for me I was very fearful of that and mm-hmm. saying you know what happens when we start to grow up on management or grow up on ownership or whatever that happens to be um, and this is what we're talking about for a loss of soft ta- uh, a loss of self worth in our talent category mm-hmm. is that because everyone is so ingrained into this hierarchy everyone is so ingrained into what is the traditional american corporate environment mm-hmm. of you know managers to middle managers to you know uh, overseeing doctors to middle doctors you know i mean all the regional regional directors you know all these different types of things it's like i think there is a time in which that system is functional um, you know there is a need for certain parts of that but it cannot come Come at the expense of individuality. Right. It cannot come at the expense of self worth. It cannot come at the expense of, um, obviously, uh, mental well being. Well, and the thing is, you can do both, but it yeah. but it requires a lot more effort. Absolutely. Because, because the the reason that the hierarchy exists and the reason that it's that 
that individual chain of command. Mm -hmm. Like if there is an issue, like, no, you, you go to this person. Again, it's something that we talked about, I believe in our first episode, it's just control. Right. Um, It's, it's in, in control in this instance, I would bet uh, is mostly rooted in reputation management, which is completely unnecessary. Probably yes, <laughs> yeah. That's probably pretty accurate. Um, yeah. Because I've I've seen it uh, in the past with working in other places where it's like we don't hold on, hold that to yourself. We'll talk yeah. about it later. Yeah. Don't let everybody know. Right. We're just gonna hold this. We're just gonna hold this in this little box. It, right. And we're gonna and we're gonna tote it up to upper management so that they can yeah. they can curb it yeah. as much as they have to. Right. Which to me, um, you know, at least in working in the clinic. Um, it doesn't happen that often, thankfully, but there have yeah. been moments where we've made mistakes. Right. And the first thing I do is I tell the the caregiver, the the, the customer, if you will, um, yeah. that that we made a mistake and right. that we're going to fix it. Right. Like I like our reputation is not rooted on how well we hoity-toity ourselves all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, no. And what that does is, is like in a, in a traditional structure, I I wouldn't fit. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, I don't. I know I wouldn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that would be something that would be generally frowned upon. Like, why are yeah. you telling them that? They right. don't need to know mm-hmm. that there was an error. We'll just fix it and then they can leave. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lack of humility, even. You can, you can throw that in that. But yeah. what that does for me, if I were in that, stru- and I've been in that structure in different worlds, is it's like, I don't want to be here. Yeah. I don't matter. No. I just don't matter. Then that's that's to me that that's again all rooted in a loss of self worth. And then guess where my talent goes? Yeah, elsewhere. Yeah, somewhere. I else. might still show up to, because I have to do this, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm not invested anymore. Yeah, and I, actually, I think you touch on a very very interesting point. Is that you know when we were talking about culture, we were talking about bond spectrum, and we were talking about financial um, uh, financial not spectrum, but. Um, uh, yeah, well, the financial spectrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah we were. Yep. Um, you know, as I think when you start to talk about the hierarchy, as you're exactly right, is that it bleeds, like hierarchy bleeds over into so many different aspects if you are rooted in a hierarchical system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think looking at that, and you're exactly right, is saying when when there's a complaint, when there's a problem, when there's a mistake, is it's, you know, when you have this hierarchy, it's like a parental-based system. It's like, well, I don't want them to find out because I might get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, I think, you know, um, one of the one of the things I've learned over the years is it's like it actually has nothing to do with the mistake at all. Right. It has everything to do with honesty and a solution. You know, I've, some of the veterinarians that I've worked with, um, you know, associate veterinarians at the clinic, it's like, oh, I did tell them this, but it wasn't like now that we're rounding, it wasn't exactly right. Oh, what do I do? What do I tell them? Just tell them what we just said. Yeah. You know, say I had originally anticipated that this is what it was, but I talked to one of the other senior veterinarians or I talked to one of the other veterinarians here. We talked about the case. We talked about what it was. And we actually think this is going to be a better management strategy. And people are like, well, that's fantastic. Right. You know, and they're like, I, I wasn't expecting them to say thank you. And it's like, right. You yeah. know, but that, that because you're being honest and you're being truthful. I said, no one has, you know, go, uh, do the wrong thing send them out the door and try to convince them you've done the wrong or done the wrong thing, but it was right. Right. Never going to go well. No, no. Cause then you're, you know. you're essentially lying. Yeah, at that point. yeah exactly. That's yeah. No, and, no place for that. And you know, I've seen so, so many things over the, over the years where things have transferred into us where, mm-hmm. and I think that's, you know, 
when we start talking about um, after hours medicine, right? Because that's where the majority of my experience is in, uh, into the 90th percentile in after hours medicine. Um, is th- that's always one of the things that's very alarming to veterinarians. Um, you know, when uh, to send a case in one that maybe wasn't managed as well as it could have been. Um, you know, that comes into our doors and it's like, well, you know, I, I make the joke. I say I have the gift of hindsight. You know, I get to see everything they did that didn't work, which means these two things right here are the last two things left and I just have to make a 50-50, whereas that veterinarian who was sending it in, they actually had 10 different variables that they had to try to work through on the same budget, right? Right. Um, Because whatever problem it is from beginning to end on that budget, it's the same amount of money. Money's going to run out eventually. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and so they're they're trying to work within that to get from 10 problems and then I just luck out that when they come in, there's two problems left and I I think it's probably that one. It's like, oh my God, how'd you know? They did all the work. Right. But the fear is when that transfers in, it then has the opportunity to make that veterinarian, their, their normal veterinarian, look bad mm-hmm. because, in again, this, you know sort of hierarchical system, we're afraid of judgment, we're afraid of, you know, so, well, he's better than me, he's above me, he's above me, and it's like, that's not the point. So people say, well, why didn't my veterinarian figure this out? I said, well, actually, um, your veterinarian figured out a lot of what it wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I said, this is a normal process, I would have been thinking the same exact things as your veterinarians, I just have the gift of hindsight, and then they yeah. kind of chuckle a little bit. Yeah. You know, I think people still do get upset that they spend money, and that, that not all the time, but they do. But again, I think you're, you touched on an interesting point that this loss of self-worth it starts in school but it continues to perpetuate throughout your career is that when we have this hierarchical system where maybe there's someone above us we're talking the practice owner we're talking maybe in another associate veterinarian who's been there longer we're talking maybe the practice does have specialists or whatever happens to be it always just seems like you never have enough Mm -hmm. you never have enough to really make a great decision maybe you can make an okay decision but damn i really wish i would have had that great one Mm -hmm. um and that's one of the big things when we get you know associate veterinarians part-time veterinarians and mentees and whatever it happens to be, that's one of the biggest things we focus on is it's just about making decisions. Mm-hmm. It's just about taking a subset of variables, just make a decision about it, live with that decision and move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's uh, even to bleed over into some of the consultations I have with people regarding euthanasia. You yeah. know, as I, t- I tell people, euthanasia sucks. The coin that is euthanasia, on flipping the coin of euthanasia, it sucks. On one side of that coin, you will have an individual who they euthanize and then they're just completely regretful that they didn't try. Mm-hmm. The other side of the coin is someone who tried mm-hmm. and they are incredibly regret- regretful that they even tried because look at all this suffering I had my patient go through. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. Both sides of the coin suck. Yeah. So when it comes to making a decision, especially a decision as a technician, a decision as a veterinarian, a decision as medical support staff, that decision-making process, it kind of in a certain degree really sucks if you have no self-worth because all you're doing is doubting yourself all the time on basic stuff. You know, the fundamentals by which I practice medicine, I always tell people you get one test and you get three rule outs. One test and three rule outs. Okay. So the way that I was taught medicine was your physical examination and clinical history provides 90% of the information you need to arrive at a diagnosis. Okay. So if in one test, you can't come up with three rule outs, you either didn't do a good enough physical exam or you didn't have enough clinical history. Now that's not always true. That's just how I was sort of taught yeah. medicine. There are always statistical outliers in mm-hmm. that capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, when, when we start to look at saying the decision-making process sucks, for me, to say I am I am not great at arriving at a diagnosis. I am not great at you know one of these uh, doing surgery. I am not great. I am not great. I am not great. The only thing I hear, 
I can learn how to make a better diagnosis. Right. I can learn how to get a better clinical history. I can learn how to do better surgery. I can learn how to slow down. I can learn how to, you know, uh, acknowledge the capabilities of the staff. I can learn how to do these things. And that's part of when we look at, you know, what it is for us as our accountability ladder. Yeah. It's like, it's, or, you know, um, um, what is it here? Not the accountability ladder, but the um, empowerment dynamic um, yeah. is sort of coming out of that self-victimization. I mean, this is kind of talking about the mentorship program, but I think it still is us just kind of talking talking about the hierarchy in that whole process and saying, no, we have learned for years and years and years and years and schools and everything else that we've been through is that this hierarchical system bleeds over into so many different things. And when we start to talk about this loss of self-worth and we start to talk about this hierarchical system is we're going to victimize ourselves. Mm -hmm. That is the yeah. natural progress. Right. Well, what you're, what you're talking about in terms of like, I, I think that there is a, there in terms of just human nature, uh, especially that now it is being empowered culturally across the board is that there is a natural tendency that most of us have, um, to say what, what outside variable caused this to go poorly for me. Yes which you and I refer to as victimization. Yeah. How am I powerless? Yeah. Um, in, in the, the cases of, of creating a diagnosis and that level of self doubt, um, that does bleed completely into that mm -hmm. because, um, what outside variable is going to make me powerless in this? What am I not seeing mm -hmm. that is not providing me the confidence mm -hmm. to make this, this, decision, yep. make the decision. I can't do it because I, I'm missing something and now I'm just, perpetuating this victimhood right um but to go what you're what you're talking about in saying that you all you see is opportunity mm -hmm. is that's a skill set yep. that's different from a tendency that that is an active uh thought path that if you're not taught it, it you're not born with it to me you're not born with it I, I i don't know anybody that is um yeah. where whereas there is a a portion i i'm i'm not a psychologist i don't know exactly how brains work but to me the victim response i think would actually be more rooted into a biological response fight or flight oh, absolutely well it, we're even talking about the fact that we're in a survival environment yes exactly yes. you're always on that edge you're, yeah you're and if you're a constantly. flight person yes it's just going to be what's going to screw me this time absolutely and how do i get out of it and how do i or how absolutely. do i fight it yeah um so if i'm always on that edge uh, and I, and I'm, and I'm in fight or flight mode, even without realizing it, the mm -hmm. perpetuation of this victim state is very, very easy to oh, do. Absolutely. So now it probably has been a defense mechanism for quite some absolutely. time, or not defense, but a coping mechanism. Yes, yeah, absolutely. For quite some time. Yep. So you take all of that and then you, you provide, uh, mo I would guess that the majority of your veterinary students and their undergraduate were biology, pre-vets, yeah, very, yeah, very, yeah. uh, STEM science. Yeah. STEM, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then they get into vet school and it's this it's very localized this mm. is what you're learning yeah. where in that process are you learning the skill set of managing your mindset no you don't you don't no. you you hope you got it from your parents mm -hmm. or a friend or yep. some other life's influence mm -hmm. but there's yeah, no if you actually had at a younger age if you had access to therapy or you had access to those right. like coping mechanisms as a taught mechanism right which, but even still like i i graduated with a marketing degree i never sure. got any of that no. I, I mean i got close to it when i took mm -hmm. a sales class because basically all it was is hey you're gonna miss 90 times out of 100 mm -hmm. and you just got to get used to it yeah, buck up butter cup. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was it. Then that, and that was light exposure. And yeah. that was the one professor that was probably a little bit rogue. He, sure. he was, you know, in a, in a high, in 
colleges are highly liberal uh, sure. institutions. He yeah. was extremely conservative. Sure. Um, he didn't really get along with most of the other professors. Probably not. One of my favorite guys. Sure, absolutely. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that was the only exposure that I had to that in a business school yeah. for a marketing degree, which there is a high degree of failure. Yeah. Whereas in the vet, in, in, but I think it's just generally more accepted if you go into the industry and you in your marketing oh, and you fail. You, in, if you're yes. a vet. The, the tolerance for failure it's is never, a touch yeah. lower than if you're handling the marketing uh, budget sure. for Sears. Sure. <laughs> right. So, right, right. so I, I don't know anywhere uh, personally in terms of a, of a higher education structure that is providing no. the, even the, the, the exposure to this thought pattern of yeah. you just, this, this is how this works. Yeah. Uh, you just got to, you just got to tough through it. Well, yeah, and I think it kind of brings us to our next point yeah. is this deteriorating skill right. set. Right. You know, is, and again, if you look at the industry overview and um, how we have that set up is now, again, the deteriorating skill set is very um, sort of it, very, very close to our uh, service, our, our lack of infrastructure. So those two things mm -hmm. are related. In the next video, we will talk about um, our lack of infrastructure from a service standpoint. But as it's related to this deteriorating skill set, you're exactly right, mm -hmm. is, you know, there may have been a time where from uh, mental fortitude or like you said, the, the skill set of the problem solving and, you know, actually being able to go from saying, here's some variables I'm not good at, this is opportunity for growth. Um, it, let's look at veterinary school in the 70s. Mm -hmm. versus in the 80s, the 90s, the thousands, and now the tens and getting close to the 20s here pretty quick is the amount of information that the veterinary curriculum has to have in a four-year time period is drastically different. Mm -hmm. And that's part of, again, I was recognizing that it's really in the last 30 years that the profession has developed. So there was probably a time where veterinary school education wise was a little bit slower, not, not necessarily less um, intense because it is very, still a very thought provocative profession. However, uh, there's probably the opportunity for students to talk more with uh, university advisors, university officials, yeah. you know, mentees, people that they had worked with before. I mean, there was, there was at least a degree of um, downtime, yeah. I guess is a better way of putting it, but there's no downtime now. Right. Well, yeah, because you're talking about a, uh, an, the education system has a 10% acceptance rate. Yeah, yeah. They're at maximum capacity all the, all the time. There's no, there's no extra time when you're at max. No, absolutely. And it's just move through. Yeah. Learn what you need to know and out you go and figure it out on yeah. your own after that. Yep. And what we're learning is, um, uh, uh, it, uh, what we're learning is that we're losing ourselves mm -hmm. is we're losing our self-worth. We're losing our individuality. Um, and when you start to look at this, um, deterioration in the skill set, is we're not necessarily talking about, um, you may or may not know how to neuter a cat because there are certainly times where veterinary students coming out have done one in their entire four year curriculum. And it's now you have to go do a hundred this month for, you know, uh, all the clients that we have or whatever it turns yeah. out to be. So right. there is a thing where there's, um, some basic skills that aren't, not unanimous, but the reality is when we talk about deteriorating skill set, we're talking about a skill set to enter into today's veterinary profession. This is a recurring mm -hmm. theme that has come up as we've gone through our industry overview is that where today's veterinarian needs to be, mm -hmm. we don't have the skills. We're not being taught the skills. We're not acquiring those skills. We don't even have an avenue if we wanted to self-teach the skills. And that's, mm -hmm. of course, where part of this podcast comes from, to even try to acknowledge that there are so many variables we have to look at at any given time between, mm -hmm. you know, the, the cultural issues and service issues and, you know, e even as uh, mental health. I mean, all these different things, the profession 
culturally in America has moved so much faster. So pet ownership has gone so much faster than this traditional practice. Yeah. So for yeah. us, people have an expectation of way out here, but the skills we enter into the market with are years behind, decades and, behind. And as soon as they challenge it, as, as soon as a caregiver challenges where you stand, yes. the the tendency and the and the, and the taught ten, uh, because of the disparagement that's in the education system yep. is stand your ground. Yes, right. Don't go. Don't right. go that way. Yeah. Stay yeah. in the middle of the hurricane. Yep. Stay in that hurricane. Move with the storm. Just take the shit. Yep. Like it's not as bad as getting plunked by a two by four in the wind. Right. right. Exactly. Like, just, just deal with stay it. Stay right there. Keep moving with it, um, because this is where we are. This is where we're safe. But the the skill set, honestly. Um, is so multifactorial. The skill set has so many different unique parts to it that I think what we're um, starting to acknowledge is again, you know, with this kind of new up and coming generation of veterinarians, is I give them absolutely all the credit in the world for I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that particular problem. You know, say, um, uh, how can we say it? the? Uh, I don't want to say necessarily customer service aspect to it, but there are certain parts of management where it's like I don't want to have to deal with interpersonal problems. Yeah. I'm not a person manager. I don't know. I don't even have the skills to deal with this one particular point. And it comes back to veterinarians, um, veterinary technicians being okay with setting boundaries. Yeah, I'm not good at this. I don't want to do it. Right. Whereas the tradition is, I'm not good at this. <laughs> good luck figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. it's sort of what you have to deal with now. Yeah. You yep. know, and that's where I think when we say, you know, a deterioration in the skill set um, is that some of those, some of those interpersonnel um, interactions. Now, we're not saying you necessarily have to know how to manage people, but you really should know how to work within a team. Right. And you should know how to work within a multi-personality team. Mm -hmm. You know, people who, who don't have the same political views as you, people mm -hmm. who, you know, and I, mean, and I think, again, generally speaking, most of the people in the veterinary profession are very similar. Uh, you know, that, they're, oh, yeah, yeah that, absolutely. There's, you know, probably some little leeway here or there, but for the most part, we're, you know, a, a pretty a pretty easygoing and, and uh, good set of professionals. Um, but again, it's come down to this skill set of you just need to have the pieces to be able to function within the team. You need to have the pieces to get close to a diagnosis, accept failure, you know, learning that once you fail, it's an opportunity to learn. Mm -hmm. um, but again, this does very much lead into um, our cultural issues. I mean, it's a bleed over into yeah. culture yeah. from the human animal bond aspect, mm -hmm. how much you are going to take on the emotional distress of this particular case, whether or not you had, um, you know, in an impact on it. Um, and this was, uh, this was no joke. Um, my first boss right out of vet school, um, he had helped me with that same thought, you know, it's like, well, you know, uh, be, being able to accept failure within a diagnosis or being able to accept failure within a service or what it happens to be, um, is right out of school. I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to be. Um, I, I mean, at that point, yes, I was, right I was after vet school, <laughs> I don't know what I want to be. Yeah. I just did this for seven years. Right. I, I guess I might do this. Yeah. I mean, the six and that's split hair, but anyway, uh, you know, the, uh, and I just split hairs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
Um, but no, I mean, the reality is, you know, day practice, I mean, cause there's, there's, there's public and private practice, you know, so the FDA, USDA, I mean, that, that's one, that's one track you can go, uh, you know, but of course, private practice is your traditional veterinary job. Um, and then for me, it was a matter of day practice versus after hours care and so on and so forth. And really what drove me into emergency medicine, I think, I don't know if I've told you this before, but it was no joke when I was in veterinary school, what I learned was that, um, when I would study all night and I would sleep that I'd lose all the information I just studied. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is I would just study all night. I'd take my tests in the morning and then sleep all day. Yeah. So for the entire veterinary curriculum, I was basically just up all night and I was like, Oh my God, I have to go to get up for a day practice. There's no way I can be to work by eight o'clock. It's just, that's when I go to bed, that's not going to happen. Um, so when I interviewed at my first job, um, as, uh, an after hours veterinarian, um, you know, I said to the, to the, my employer, um, as I said, listen, I mean, you, you see my resume, like I'm three weeks out of school. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't know how to do emergency medicine. Um, you know, and he said to me, and I mean, it really rang true and it's, it's just, it's kind of weird not to even say out loud, but, um, he says, well, just think of it this way. Um, if you weren't here, if something was going to die, I was probably going to die anyway. And I was like, oh, oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I guess you're right. You know, it's kind of empowering to mm-hmm. be like, well, I just have to do, I just have to try to do better than this thing dying. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I had um, really, a really good, good group of people around me. Um, uh, Dr. Christie and some of the other ones, you know, when I started my first job, very influential in my early career is it was just try to keep it alive into the morning because you got a great doctor coming out in the morning and she can help you sift through a lot of this. And that's, that's, that, that was essentially part of what, how I envisioned sort of the mentorship program and sort of what we're doing in our tier three mentorship um, is that exact dynamic is it's like, I didn't know much. Yeah, I was kind of arrogant. You know, th- sometimes I would really stick to my guns on knowing a diagnosis. She'd be like, Carlo, that's not with it. Just stop. And I'd be like, all right. You know, and it, it was tough, you know, I mean, and she really, um, honestly, I, 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 to this day, I think about her um, because a part of it was that she stood between me and some of the other doctors in the practice. She stood between me and some of the technicians in the practice who really like, he doesn't get it. He's an idiot. He's stupid. And it's hierarchy. Yeah. Coming at you yep. in practice. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. She's like, guy, he's just out of school. Right. What, what is your expectation of this new graduate who three weeks out of school is now running a, an, an emergency practice after hours by himself? Yeah. Like, what do you actually think is going to happen? And and I just, I, I, I she was one of the first people in the veterinary profession who stood up for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when we start to talk about this loss of self-worth. It doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. If no. someone starts to believe in you and someone really is like, you know what, you can do this. And that's my perspective. Like, I have done this against everything. I shouldn't have been able to do this. Mm-hmm. And it's I had good people around me and I had mm-hmm. good supportive people. But again, that comes back to, you know, just our discussion of this loss of self-worth and right. this deteriorating skill set is I came out of school with a skill set that in no way, shape, or form prepared me for the job that I had. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in a system that was beset in hierarchy. Um, and for me, it was, you know what, I had the people around me that were supportive, not everybody, but I had one or two key players. Um, and that made all the difference in the world mm-hmm. um, to help me start to develop those skills. It's funny too. Uh, I, I know it's not, it's a, it's slightly connected. It's, it's not a direct connection, but that, 
what you just referred to there in that in that def- that that person that just yep. didn't really provide yep. you the opportunity to feel sorry for yourself. Yes. Um, yeah. That that goes with what uh, Dr. Caroline was bringing up a couple weeks ago, and that sure. and one that, of our associate vets. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Um, one that that concept, and and I I understand that within that structure there is a lot of nuance. Like you could have created the opportunity to feel sorry for yourself Absolutely. very, very easily. Mm-hmm. That person basically held you by the leash yep. and said, nah, no, nah, you don't have time for that. Yep. You're not going over there. No. You're, uh, so when, when she, and, and I, I respect Dr. Caroline very, very much because she does challenges on these ideas a yes. lot. Yeah. But that's I love the, it. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's the reason why me, my natural response is I don't give an inch. I don't, don't, you're just not going to go over Mm -hmm. there. I I understand that there is nuance in this argument. I understand that your life is is a very dynamic Mm -hmm. thing and there's a lot of gray area. Mm -hmm. But what I'm going to be is I'm going to be the person that's just going to hold that leash. If you really want to pull hard enough where I let go of that leash, you're free to go wherever you please correct but guess who's not gonna help anymore correct it's probably yeah. gonna be me yeah i'm not if chasing you, a running dog r- no exactly yeah. so if you had bucked that that individual yeah. to the point where it, it was it was like uh you know you know i'm i'm gonna go do this i'm gonna go explore all yep. these other people and how they're gonna make me feel sorry for myself yep she would have said okay yep that's, good luck that's what you're gonna do peace right. yeah it's been it's been great knowing you but you're yep. gonna be out in seven years right yeah. And that's the end of it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it, it, it's funny to, that that we can we can bring it back to that because yeah. I I don't think she was referring to a, a, a quote unquote skill set um, in any way it, it specifically, mm-hmm. but that's exactly what it is 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 having an individual within a practice that yeah. has the skill set to hold the leash. Because yep. man, is that uncomfortable sometimes? Yeah. yeah, it is tough. It's tough, and I think. You know, for us, you know, we have as we start to get into our discussion of core values and we start to talk about our performance review system and these growth plans and so on and so forth um, is, you know, really sort of the fundamentals that I had learned from Christy very early on in my career is it it does bleed through Mm -hmm. where it's like, no, like you said, just hold the leash, just be accountable to it. Nope, this isn't what this is. Yep, that was a mistake, but we're going to do better next time. Um, It was it was a completely different way of looking at a set of problems. Yeah. And that, again, something that wasn't learned part of that to deteriorating skill set. It's just, you know, you don't know what just happened. You didn't do a good job and this patient suffered as a result. And this is as a student. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of like go walk off into a corner and cry. Right. You know, is um, you know, I was I was working with um uh the local humane society here um just the other day and um it was super simple. It was um, I had an employee that um I just needed them to go run uh grab a pair of clippers for me. And mm-hmm. uh, we're sitting there with a patient just waiting for the clippers. Um and she had to run into another room and then it's just like, Well, where where is she? It's like, Where'd she go? And I'm just sort of waiting and then waiting and I'm like, oh, I gotta go find her. Maybe she couldn't find it. I think I think I had another pair of clippers somewhere else. She's mm-hmm. on the phone. Okay. And I'm like, What? What? And she got off the phone or whatever. And I'm like, why are you on the phone? She's like, well, the phone rang, you know? And I was like, well, but we were dealing with a patient. Like, you know, what would happen if the phone didn't ring? Well, it would go to voicemail. Are you the only one here who can check the voicemail? No, it's not. Mm-hmm. I can, uh, 
Every, anyone can answer the voicemail. Right. So the task at hand was I needed you to focus on this one minute task. We had to get the Clippers because we needed to use it for patient care. And it's like, well, what about all these other sort of things? I mean, sort of these other sort of things. And it's like, you know, and there's a really good example of it, just how we sort of get sidetracked when yeah. we don't have the skill set to identify what is the most important right now. We don't have the ability to really make great decisions about, um, once we make, we don't have the ability of once we make decisions, was it a good or bad decision? And then when we get feedback, it's a crush. Yeah. You know, and that was sort of then yes. my interaction with his employee and the Clippers and the phone call is it was like, this is not a crush. I mean, it was Clippers. I mean, you know, who cares? Just go to Clippers. But the, the lesson that we were able to teach from that was we need to start to work on what is our one second priority, our one minute priority, our one hour priority, our one day, our one week, our one month, or one year. Mm -hmm. And that's going to basically start to allow us to function within the workplace as a team. Because if you have that one team member who's like, um, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go treat this patient. Okay, perfect. I am relying on you to treat this patient. And then it's like, well, really what I meant was, um, after I uh, go to the bathroom and then, uh, after I eat something and then after I go over here and then after I'm going to go answer the phone and then I'm going to go over here and do this and then I'm gonna go for it. And it's like an hour and a half later mm -hmm. and someone else has already done the treatment on this particular patient. It's like, well, why didn't they do treatments? They said they were going to do treatments, you know? Right. And it's like, oh, well, maybe this is an individual who their skill set does not allow them to identify what is immediate priority and what is a later mm -hmm. priority. And that's what we are teaching in our organization as far as triage. Right. What patient is most immediate? What patient is less immediate? What you know, urgent to emergent to stable to surgical to medical is to work through this type of process on the deteriorating skill set of, you know, if we're talking about hierarchy, you know, which is again one of our problems. We talk about hierarchy where we always have to sort of ask where what what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And then it comes into I don't have the skills to figure it out, figure it out, figure it out, figure it out. Yeah. And anytime I ask someone in a position of perceived power where they are above me and I'm constantly asking, constantly asking, they're like, why are they talking to me? Why are they talking to me? Why are they talking? To me? Why are they talking to me? Yeah. Then it's just this constant perpetuating circle. Um, and I think again, bringing it back to Dr. Caroline and, and sort of the argument on this ambiguity, ambiguity of this gray area and some of these arguments mm -hmm. on saying, well, there's this factor and there's this factor and there's this and this might and this might and this might and this might is and we can display this graphic as well, but when we start to talk about our empowerment dynamic mm -hmm. and we start to talk about our accountability ladder and we, uh, Ben and I, and of course other leaders um, you know, on our team are really into that high tier of just we're owning problems, we're you know, uh, seeing what the solutions are and we're implementing them. When you are in a phase of high accountability and all you're doing is just talking about, um, well, okay, find the solution, yeah. but what are we implementing? What are we implementing? What's the solution? What are we implementing? What are the solution? What are we implementing? Every other if then but gray area, it doesn't matter. No. It doesn't no. matter. And it's so it's so crazy. And I mean, I thank you for teaching me that. Because I mean, in the last few years, I mean that that's what you really helped me come through on. Because I mean, like with the Carol, you know, with Dr. Caroline's argument, well, there's this factor, there's this factor, there's this factor, there's this factor. It has taken me years to sort of finally see it. And I you know in the last year I have, but um, it's you know, in this accountability ladder, it's like, you know, we have denial and blaming and excuses, and we're waiting to see if it even becomes a problem. I know I made a mistake, but maybe no one will notice. Mm -hmm. You know, and we start to, you know, that's where we're kind of talking about this deteriorating skill set mm -hmm. is, you know, uh, at, at 
that one of the, the first things we had was it's like, I want to be the best in my field so I can make everyone else with me better. And then I'm going to try to be better than them again because mm-hmm. I want them to come with me. Right. It's all the same stuff. Yeah. This deterioration of skill set and this hierarchy, that's it. Well, yeah. So you have, do you have the ladder in there? Is that what yeah, you're that's looking it right at here. there? Yep, yep, yep. So, and I'll, I'll throw it up on the screen too, is that uh, when I think of that survival mode that we had yeah. alluded to, what is survival mode? It's all down there. It's, yeah, it's on the bottom. Because if I do all those things, I might survive. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, and you it, might. It's, I you never might. even thought about that until right now. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's survival that's mode. That's survival mode. And yeah. I, and, and you're, you're on a, especially with number four, you're yeah. on a whim. Yeah. And the, actually, no, uh, that's the eye of the storm is number four. Mm-hmm. Eye of the storm in this, this weight category on our accountability ladder here, just so you guys know it is, um, uh, people here recognize that there is a problem, but have chosen uh, to not act and hope that the problem will either disappear or improve without their action. Right. So it's like, that's kind of the eye of the storm. Yeah. You know, you're in survival mode it's like all right i'm just gonna kind of i'm just gonna kind of wait and see and then you know and it's you're exactly right and the key the key verb in that in that statement is hope hope it's it's not act Mm -mm. uh it's hope and you know it was it was very appropriate that our first episode is a call to action yes it's not a call to hope no (laughs) no like no we've been hoping for about 15 years and i'm tired of it yes like i i I still have uh and i'm not nearly as in depth or in deep with this industry as you are sure i still have i i personally have a lot of hope for the industry as a whole because mm. uh, i believe mm-hmm. it's there i believe that the the individuals Absolutely. that find themselves in this industry as a general rule of thumb based on the way that they're motivated and the way mm-hmm. that they behave have a lot of uh, natural strengths that Absolutely. lend itself to a high degree of hope and also a high degree of be able, being able to implement solutions absolutely um they just don't they don't have the skill set mm-hmm. to do that to make that bridge because span that gap the thing that the ladder of accountability is built on yep. is the thing that to me um when you talk about being the lowest and going to the highest the thing that's missing the most out of that is the is the fundamental root of forgiveness and humility yeah. which i will will explore yeah. Yeah. later but that's you know when you talk about uh is, is it a, an internist that runs the the medical side i don't remember the exact title yeah, yeah. Uh, but regardless like that if the, the individual that you referred to it, it, like your first few days of clinicals when you were in college that just just took you right off of your soapbox like you're never gonna make it yeah you're awful Mm -hmm. they gave you the the marine type treatment with that with no warning no uh no never expected it you know go to you go to marine boot camp you see it coming like i know i'm gonna get slaughtered signed up for marine boot camp right yep you don't sign up for that in vet school and Mm -hmm. and the the i don't know if there's much of a mirror image when I think of a person who signs up for vet school and a person who signs up for Marine boot camp. Right. Like they're very, very different people as yes. a general rule of thumb. Yes. Um, so you take all, so. So, you, so you get crushed yep. off of that. What does that teach you? Yep. It teaches you that when you get above somebody, yep. entire the lack of humility is completely acceptable. Yeah. I'm better than you. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I don't need to hear you. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be better. I'd have no requirement to forgive you in any way right i gave you the i gave you the opportunity to succeed you failed you're gone yeah and, and to me that is so asinine yeah yeah I, it's funny you bring up uh the military analogy because i actually used to say in my first few years out is it's like the main difference between veterinary school and um the armed services is that with boot camp uh they break it down to beat you or i'm sorry they, they break you down to build you back up mm-hmm. whereas in veterinary school you just get broken 
Right. And then it's off you go. There's no yep. rebuild. Yep, no rebuild. No, no rebuild. And it's just, and, and then and then you're just kind of lost. Mm-hmm. And again, we're talking about like the elite intelligence of, well, that particular year and that particular application process, but we're talking really top tier STEM students, mm-hmm. you know, where it's it's the smart to the smart to the smart to the to the 10%. Yeah. You know, and it's like, and then, then what we're going to say is we're going to take that 10% and break it out. Now the 10% is our 100%. And now we're going to say, well, most people are going to fall um, well under that, maybe in the lower 40th percentile of the ultra smart, you know, and then we're really getting up to these top tier, um, you know, uh, hierarchy specialists. And that's, you know, like, oh, I'm just so much smarter, you mm-hmm. know, like, well, yeah, I mean, honestly, anyone would be that smart if you were doing that job for 20 years on end. Right. You know, I mean, are you smart because of, of your brain or are you smart right. because of experience? Right, right. So those are two different things. Well, and that that's actually one of the one of the, I think the funny recurring jokes about millennials is it's like a you know job application process, um, you know, a new graduate with 10 years of experience. Yeah. You know, yep. <laughs> I, love, I love that yeah, joke. It doesn't exist. You know, yep. and it, how am I supposed to get a job in this market? Um, and that's, I think, when we start to talk about I mean, it's jokes about deteriorating skill set and hierarchy and so on and so forth. But, you know, that that is very much a reality. And, um, you know, where there's this expectation of knowing more, but you haven't had the opportunity to, to experience more mm-hmm. um, and there hasn't been you know a traditional education system maybe they don't have the experience to teach you what you need right the other thing too that goes along with that and I've had this argument with some of my friends right? and I did so much argument just discussion um, and I'll you know have that r- little revealing thought about your personal life is like you take a game like Warhammer sure right so Carlo played plays yeah, Warhammer he's yeah. he's on a hiatus yeah, or whatever yeah. it might be but for those that aren't familiar Warhammer is a war game it is a tabletop, war, tabletop game war game that uh it's a highly strategic game yep so take that as an example take uh if you were let's say you were applying for a surgical uh, type yeah, position and you are like really good at playing video games right very yeah. very quick tactile. hand yep. very tactile yeah. whatever you have uh like for me my special skill i was right. in a band for nine years yeah like you want to learn how to communicate learn how to be in a band when you're 16 years old <laughs> because all you do is just almost fist fight the yeah, whole time the whole time but uh, taking taking those extra skill sets um, and saying like that going back to that, um, I need ten years of experience for a new graduate. Right. Well, this is the experience that I have. Right. And honestly, most of those, in my opinion, are highly valuable. Mm-hmm. I I actually grab more to the experiences that I've had in my personal life. At, at least four times to every one yeah. that I pull from my college ex- sure. education. Absolutely. I had to unlearn most of my college education because it was horribly unapplicable. Yeah. Um, again, marketing, very different from veterinary school. You're learning a trade. Yeah. You're going to be able to draw a lot more just knowledge off of yeah. that. Yeah. And I and I and I do use my degree um, enough to say, yeah. yeah, that was a good idea. Yeah, right, 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 right. But in terms of like practical life skills, nah, no. Now, playing something like Warhammer or yeah. even Smash Bros, whatever the heck it right. might be, right. it's you you just learn the the concept of uh, and honestly the strategy and problem solving. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I do, and I have often made the joke. I mean, I'm just a gamer through and through, mm-hmm. and I mean, with having just years of video game experience, like my sort of adoption of ultrasound technique, like being an ultrasonographer, yeah. it was 
fast. Yeah. It was like, oh, here's a screen I'm looking at, and I move my hand, and I move it. Yep, no problem. Right. And it was like, have you ever done this before? No, I've played a shit ton of video games. Though. <laughs> you know, like, you know, and it's like, but, you know, like you said, there are other games that are strategic. Right. You know, and, you know, tabletop wargaming, I mean, you have to understand your opponents. You have to understand movement. You have to understand all these different variables. There's a random variable, you know, so you have to calculate all these things at any given time. And I remember when I first started playing tabletop wargaming, when I, I think it was like uh, junior in high school or something like that is it's like we would have these matches that would take six hours yeah you know and it's like it's a one-hour game Mm -hmm. you know and it's that same process it's highly analytical trying to just understand the rules of the game because the rule book's this thick Mm -hmm. you know i mean the veterinary profession rule book is massive but there isn't really actually the rule book that was written was probably written in the 80s and 90s and then we don't use it we still trying to use that rule book and paul health is creating a new time for a new edition a new edition right we're revising it actually we're probably just burning it and creating a new one (laughs) um but anyway so that was kind of that whole idea is this sort of skill set you you know then over the years you become better at it you know for game now it's 30 minutes right you know so it's kind of that same idea where even in your your personal life to your professional life there's going to be times where you don't have a skill set for something and either going to figure it out or you're going to have mentors to help you Mm -hmm. or you're just simply not going to do it and you're going to go do something else Mm -hmm. like for me terrible with any type of musical instrument like I can't keep pace. I can't keep rhythm. Tried it, sucked, done. Yeah. You know, and that's where, like I said, I think bringing it back to one of the things I said originally is I think that's one of the commendable things about today's generation, the millennials, is that they are willing to accept what they can't do. Yes. And if there is a system in place that allows them to be supported within that system, that's what we're talking about with Paw Health. Yeah. Is we're talking about creating a system, whether that system is in writing form, whether it's an individual form, whether it's a management form and financial form, whatever it happens to be, we're talking about identifying the problems and creating solutions and helping mm-hmm. that deteriorating skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with that, it brings us sort of to that final third bubble or that sort of third piece to our loss of self-worth is debt to income ratio. Yeah. It is brutal. Yeah. It is brutal. That's got to be top I, I mean when you think of the just the the status of any veterinarian that's yeah. that's top 3 stressors for almost all of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and well, actually, it's just students in general yeah, nowadays, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And now, again, uh, you know, we won't have to get too political on what might happen with our student debt load, yeah. uh, anything like that capacity. But, but, the, but the, I think if we look at the, the... The federal problem has not been solved. Correct. The federal problem has not been solved. And, and you and I probably aren't going to fix it. Yeah. No, I don't think we will. So, and that that's actually uh, it's, it's funny you say it that way, because when we were starting to identify from sort of this loss of self-worth, we started talking about all these things, we started talking about all these solutions, is very early on in our working together a strategic planner it was mm-hmm. like ben we have to fix all of these things these are all things that we need to do and it's like pump the brakes riolo yeah. like are we talking about an industry-wide problem or are we talking about a problem in your clinic because you can't start to tackle industry problems until you fix the problem in your clinic mm-hmm. and then it even bubbles down from there is you can't start to fix problems within your clinic until you can fix problems with inside yourself mm-hmm. um, and as soon as you start to handle yourself you can start to handle that then you can start to branch out into helping others and that's of course now where we are starting to step into the industry right and trying to help uh, at least in some capacity, um, as much on, as on the can. things that we handle, because the yeah. things that we like, I myself don't have a, a strong grasp on. I don't, I yes. don't step into that. You don't yeah. step into that. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, I, if I don't have the best possible answer that I can come up with, right. I'm probably yeah. not going to tell you what right. to do. I've gotten a lot better at just close. I mean, this podcast probably is not very representative, but I have been very good at closing my mouth. You know, <laughs> I mean, just if I don't have an answer, I'm not going to ramble on until it's like I just. How spit much words. time was put into this thing? Like, all right, into the into the oh, in- into industry the, overview, into the industry overview. Days. 
in terms oh. of co- understanding oh. and, and and for me yes oh yeah days well we, like, a lot yeah we, i mean if, if you want to talk about the industry overview i mean like i mean we've kind of talked about i don't sleep much you know so like yeah. four, four to six hours two to four hours depending yeah. on the night some I, actually this last time i was up for a day and a half but it, it doesn't matter is <laughs> like for me it's all i've thought about for five to eight Ex- years exactly i never stopped thinking about so it. you opening your mouth on this is not no. is not from a is not from an ill-fitting place no you you open you know you trying to tell every and this is probably the reason why the political environment is so bad is because sure. there's so many people that are just extrapolating based on a very small set of variables that yeah. what the big yeah the big the picture. big solution yeah. is mm-hmm. is like well i'm just going to disagree with that and i'm going to pick out this one point right and then it's going to crumble. And yeah. it happens on both sides. It doesn't right. matter yeah, what side of the, yeah, the aisle right. you sit on. Right. That's what's so frustrating about yeah. it. But from, from this perspective, you're not opening your mouth. No. You're, you're, you're just providing um, yeah. information. Framework. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's where, again, I think, again, you're exactly right. I mean, I am providing information. But right now, all we're doing is overviewing the three major problems. Right. We haven't even got into solutions no. yet. And no. I think where we as a profession get stuck is, like you said, aisle problems, you know, issues, and so on and so forth, is that all we ever do is really just start talking about these problems mm-hmm. and it's in that same accountability ladder is you know we really haven't got into are we really living in reality mm-hmm. are we really living are we owning it are we right. owning it are we living in reality are we really kind of up into the top tiers where we're creating solutions and implementing the answer is no is that if we if we've said that you know on our chart you know we've said that you know number four is where the profession is we're just sort of waiting and seeing we're sort of in the eye of the storm are we really living in reality right and if we're on, even from an accountability standpoint if we haven't even gotten to that point there's no way we're going to actually be able to own what these problems are and start to create solutions to it and that's where like you said yeah on this all you know what we're doing is we're providing information on these but it's not just because we're kind of belly aching about it you know is that we we do have you know very tangible um you know uh, solutions you just you just set the stage so that the solutions uh have something to stand on yeah um, it, that was the big reason, you know, whenever this industry overview had surfaced itself amongst the group yeah. and, and you yeah, absolutely are these giant problems that, that do perpetuate throughout the entire industry and throughout the culture mm-hmm. of the veterinary world. Yep. But what was my first question? What are you going to do about it? Right. You know, like right. the, the answer was fix it. Right. And right. Like that was, that was the, the best answer that you, that yeah. you had in the moment. And it's yeah. like, I, I agree that you're going to fix it, but yeah. what, what are you going to do in the next two weeks? That's why right. the strategic planning model is so important. <laughs> Right. Because it goes from we'll just do it. Right. We'll just we'll just figure it out. Right. And we're just gonna do it. It's, no, no. Right. We're gonna we're gonna be methodical about right. this and you're gonna lay it out and we're gonna get shit done. Yeah. And I remember I was very frustrated in the beginning because I was like, listen, just listen to me. This is what we need to do. I know we need to fix it. Like this is gonna happen. And you guys are like, what I'm like, fine fine, I'm going to write this down and I'm going to create this overview. And it was like, I remember when I had my torn pieces of paper that I was showing you and Jen, you guys were like, we've never had a client do this before. No, you know, there's, there's no no one as geared in their industry with this type of an overview, you know, in that regard. And, you know, again, I think it's part of that skill set as I've identified before my skill is that I have problem solve. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 the do, it's the how, it's the yeah. now, and that's getting back to my uh, uh, example with the uh, Humane Society employee: mm-hmm. one second, one minute, one hour, yep. one day, one week, one month, one year. Mm-hmm. We have to start to base it and just think about it as like little file bins. Here's my one second bin. Here's my one minute bin. Here's my one thing bin. And then you know, and once we start to pull it together, for me, it's like, what's my five to ten year bin? How you know, what can I pull down from there? What can I pull down from there? Can I pull this down? Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And I think when we start to talk about this loss of self-worth is, yeah, I mean, we all come out of veterinary school or technician school and you don't really have a ton of it. And I don't think there's, there are probably some select instances where some people come out very empowered and maybe they had a good set of mentors, they had a good set of education, but that again, is not the industry standard. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, when we start to look at, again, how we're moving forward with our organization, I mean, we've crushed our... 10 year goals in the first three, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just that same thing on saying, all right, w- why, why didn't we, what was, what is holding a lot of veterinarians back? And that's what, again, coming back into that debt to income ratio right? is, right. you know, when I look at saying, well, we have one year plans, one minute plans, 10 year plans, five year plans, whatever that happens to be, you can't, one, you can't have that in survival mode. I mean, that's, we've identified that you can't, no. you can't, you're lucky think, to make it past the one week. Yeah. One day you can't make long-term determine when you're in sort of survival mode. So part of this is yes, empowerment, but one of the big things that I think never really made sense to me is that debt does not dictate income. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like I have, you know, uh, you know, from one veterinary student to the next. So I'm graduating with 180,000 in debt. I'm 250, I'm 400,000 in debt. And I think we do to a certain capacity victimize ourselves with our debt. And it's saying, Mm -hmm. well, you know, there is sort of a conscious component to this. Like no one actually made you go to veterinary school. You knew what the debt load was going to be going in. Maybe you didn't. And I think as, you know, a young kid, you know, at 18 to 20 years old, 22 years old, it's very fake, Yeah, you know, where it's like, oh, 250,000, that sounds like a lot. But it's yeah. like, what does that actually mean for my monthly loan payment? Is that, how much is that? I mean, it's like a hundred bucks or something, right? And it's like, no, we're talking like clear past a thousand, yeah. you know, 1500, uh, which is a really nice, like, mortgage payment on a nice house um you know but yeah around here yeah yeah (laughs) central wisconsin you can get a lot of great uh, properties but there's a lot of those in in across america Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. semi-rural environments and so that brings up the point of this debt to income is this loss of self-worth is like oh my god look at how much debt i have no bank will ever give me money for a business loan yeah look at how much debt I have. Um, I need to just continue to work because if I stop working, then I won't be able to pay my debt. Look at how much debt I have. I'm never going to be able to pay this off in my lifetime. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so let's kind of f- create opportunity with that. So it's, you are never going to pay off $400,000 working as an associate veterinarian at 80,000 a year. It's financially just not going to happen. So what's the solution? The solution there is increase your income. Well, how do you increase your income? And it's like, well, maybe we need to start to talk about what ownership looks like. Mm -hmm. Maybe we need to start to talk about what leadership looks like. Well, I'm not a natural born leader. I'm not a natural born um, owner. And it's like, well, what we're coming forward with is there are certain aspects of ownership that you don't need to be responsible for. And it comes back to sort of those millennials and saying, I know what I don't want. I know what I don't want. I know what I don't want. But if we're talking about a partner practice, if we're talking about partial ownership, I mean, there's other ways you can generate avenue. Is there a particular skill that you have in your area that no one else has? Are you an ultrasonographer? Can you start to bring that business in? Can you make a, uh, you know, a, a business pitch to your owner? Maybe you have no interest in being an actual owner, but can you say, you know what? I am really interested in physical therapy. There's no physical therapists around here. Right. I'm really interested in ultrasonography. There are no ultrasonographers around here. Mm-hmm. Will you help me? I don't want to be an owner of this practice, but actually I will help build your practice if you help me get my education for this. It's uh, so many classes. I need Mm -hmm. to continue education stipend. And you put together an actual business model. Yeah. 
I don't know that there's going to be too many veterinarian owners who are like, why would I be opposed to that? You know, there are going to be some that are rooted in tradition and saying, I, as an owner, do not see value in what you are telling me that you are interested in. And then the reality becomes time to find a new job. Exactly. But it's clear. Yes. When you get that answer. <laughs> yes. There's right. a whole lot of clarity in the yeah. no. The no, right. The maybe is where people get it's frustrated. True. It's true. We, we do love our maybes. Yes. We do love our maybes. But I, I don't think, you know, for me, when we start to look at our value as veterinarians and we start talking about this debt to income ratio, it is very crushing. Don't get me wrong. I yeah. mean, that loan payment when it comes through is crushing. Yeah. Um, how, but I'm not, and I'm not saying we shouldn't acknowledge that it doesn't weigh on us financially. However, there are other ways that we as veterinarians can make more. More money, we just have to start to think outside of this traditional box. Yeah. And, you know, again, I don't, I'm not saying I have the solutions to all the problems, but, you know, I think when we start to talk about, well, I can't move because my, you know, significant other has a job in this area and this is the only job that I can find, I think that's another common argument that we hear from veterinarians. And again, it is a very challenging one, you mm -hmm. know, but when we start to look at this overall loss of self worth, where it's like, I have too much debt, I'm not making enough money, I'm not worth anything to the company I work for, and I don't have any skills to even do the job that I want to do it's like is that really a healthy environment for you to be mm -hmm. in that business in that company in that location and shouldn't the discussion with your significant other be mental health and well-being right can't we figure out some solution to you moving somewhere else for a job i don't know mm -hmm. i'm just saying is that an opportunity for some people maybe some people it is but i think maybe for us as veterinarians we're you know kind of passive enough that we're not comfortable having that conversation because we're self-sacrificing Sacrificers. We don't mm -hmm. want to inconvenience people. Right. But again, what's in the numbers is that we as veterinarians are constantly sacrificing and yeah. it's coming at it the expense of mental health and well-being. Right. It, but the, this, to, this to me is, is the tipping point. And this, and this is uh, a very brief explanation of the hard line, hold the leash approach that I take. Yep. Um, I believe that given all of the sets of variables and you make a decision like, yeah. uh, like, yes, I have all of these things. My mental health is, is deteriorating. Um, my financial state is not great. Um, and, and I, I want to be here. So I've, I'm choosing to be here with all of these variables and you make that decision my sympathy is now gone. Yeah. I don't feel bad anymore. So don't throw it back at me with yep. this debt to income stuff. And like you might, you, if you're operating with a high debt load and low income and you haven't done anything to problem solve it, like, yeah, I, you want, yeah, you want answers. Yes. I'd love to help. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. But don't, don't just use it as a tool to victimize yourself. Right. That's all I'm really getting at. Yep. And that's why I take the hard line approach. It's just like, okay, we're just, I'm going to kind of assume that you see the variables that yep. we're, we're starting at number five. Mm -hmm. I don't really deal well with one through four. Yeah. I don't have time. Um, I don't, I, I personally don't have much of a concern for those that just want to live down there. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. Other people are different. And you're, I know yeah. you're, you're okay with like, yeah. you're going to grab somebody yeah. by the head and, and you're going to pull them up. them up. Yeah. Um, and we, and we, we share a difference in that. And I, I love the fact that you're willing to do that. Right. But all of these things, um, is, is basically, you know, going to the, the big problem of talent is, is don't tell me that you have a lack of talent and that to make me feel bad for you. Right. 
Like, no, let, let's let's start to problem solve. Let's yeah. start to get better. Let's start to find where you're able to do all these things. Let's build your self-worth. Yep. That's all I want to do. I yep. want I, I, I have every desire for you to, to be in a better place and feel as though you're in a better place yep. and, and to do Absolutely. both of those things. I'm not going to lie to you right. and tell you that you're okay no. if you're not. Correct. Um, and if you are in a better place, I'm going to tell you that you are. Like, yep. even if it's small increments, like, I'm going to compliment you. I'm going to I'm going to provide yeah, a, a, yeah. A, a, a reward structure, whatever it might be. Don't throw these things back at me, though, and say, well, right. just feel bad for me. Right. No. No. I've, I absolutely refuse to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, and to me, that's that's the stemming from the, the culture side. And, and again, I, I always, I, I tend to jump more overarching uh, our our society's culture. Yep. Is that so much of, of what we're doing, and I, I referred to it before, it is like, where am I powerless? Yeah. Like, we're, we're just taught that. It's just ingrained into our system. Our, our hierarchy. Even, our, our hierarchy. Our media system is now like, this is how you're powerless today. Right. Right? Mm. How are you being taken advantage of? How are, how are you being victimized? And now we start to just peak for all of those things and this is one of the big reasons why i don't really listen to the radio anymore i never watch the news i listen to podcasts and one of the ones that i listen to most of the time and i highly recommend everybody listen to if you can stomach his highly positive nature is gary v yeah uh, yeah. be, because he, he doesn't operate in the veterinary industry. So it's no. going to be some, yeah. some weird stuff, but what he, what he refers to so often is like, all I do is see the good. All I am is yeah. gracious. All I am is thankful yeah. uh, because everything that's gotten me to this point, the, the variability for me to get to this point, even if it's not great has been excessively hot, low for me to get to this exact point. Right. And you want to know what, it might not be great, but I'm gracious for the fact that I can get better. Yep. And the fact that I got here in the first place, because I could be, I could have been dead a million other ways along yeah, the way. Absolutely. Um, yep. I could. I, so, yeah. so that's my mindset on it. Um, and that's and to me, a lot of that links into the core value stuff. Um, yeah. it, that, that you know, because what yep. what Gary's referring to on that is humility. Yeah, it's really absolutely. all it is. Uh, and and then getting into mentorship it, it, when and alluding to the solutions that we'll get to uh, yep. over coming weeks here, is that those two things are so um, those are so taught. Those, yes. they're so you you're not born with them. Um, I, I and, and now our culture is our as a whole is teaching people the other way, um, to 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 basically teach it's it's teaching us to degrade ourselves overall. Yeah, to make ourselves more worthless, yeah. more powerless. Yeah. Um, there are the outliers here and there, um, but it's just irritating, and I don't I just don't consume it. Um, so I'm really excited to get, I, I all yeah. I'm really getting at is, man, I'm really excited to get into solutions because yeah. now I'm kind of rambling. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but, but that's really what I'm getting into with, with that. No, I, I think it's like I said, getting back to the, the, um, survival mode is yeah. that it's so easy to victimize ourselves yeah. in this. Yeah. Um, you know, when you sort of have this overall loss of self-worth, cause you're just trying to get some type of empathy or sympathy from people at some point in yeah. some way. Yep. And I think debt is a really, it, it does. I mean, don't get me wrong. The debt is a problem, Yeah. but the solution is income. Right. And I think, you know, when we start, we talk about the social elements so the cultural element, which is going to be the victimization part. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of the solution process that has moved forward, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, is that 
what we've been seeing is um, a lot of students, a lot of veterinarians are starting to rush towards major city centers, mm-hmm. you know, St. Louis, Twin Cities, uh, you know, Chicago, Milwaukee, some of these. And it's like, you know, if you move towards a large urban center where you have a really high top 20%, yeah. um, uh, one of Katie's classmates moved to Boca Raton in Florida because it was not just a top 20%, but it's a massive amount of money in the top 20%. Right. You know, so right. it's it's some of these solutions, you know, where again, that may be an isolated instance, but it, we're saying that a lot of veterinarians are moving towards sort of these, you know, high, uh, high salaried areas. Oh, mm-hmm. I can, if I, if I move to St. Louis, um, I can make $150,000 as a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. And it's like, <clears throat> Are you comfortable paying a um, thousand or two thousand for a one-bedroom apartment? Is that right. is that okay? Um, because it's your cost of living is going to be so much higher. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, of course, we're coming forward with is that you know, again, we've kind of mentioned before, you know, um, our area is um, semi-rural, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's mm-hmm. barely urban. I mean, I think you just call it rural and be done with it. Yeah. Um, you know, is that you know, for us to be able to say that in this one practice in North Central Wisconsin that we've been able to have among the highest paid veterinarians in the area to have the benefit structure of the entire staff equal to that of veterinarian between, you know, continuing education to um, health benefits, to medical benefits, health benefits for the families, um, to then our technical wages and our medical support wages. I mean, we are rushing towards the $15 minimum wage. I want technicians above 20 an hour. You know, I mean, we're moving up in this rate of scale in an area where that is clearly above the standard pay of anyone else, not just in the industry, but like as a whole, Yeah. you know, yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the typical income yeah. and saying that, you know, how are we doing this not in Seattle? How are we not doing this, you know, in California? How are we not doing this in these areas? And it's like, oh, it's because we understand that debt is the nature of this game, but we have figured out a way to maintain income, not just for ourselves, but to distribute that to our staff, right? You know, distribute that to our individuals. And that was the problem solved that we had come to is that while, yes, we, I have definitely suffered all of the things in self-worth between the deteriorating skill set to the hierarchy, to the debt to income ratio is that the solution is you, we're trying to come forward with, there are solutions to income. There's a lot of different solutions to income. You just have to be willing to work with it and kind of step outside of that comfort box. And then like, you you know, then there's the cultural element of it is just don't continue to try not to allow yourself to be victimized, Right. but everything around you is victimizing, you know, or is a lot, you know, is, 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 um, uh, you're allowing yourself. You're going to have to have fortitude every hour, every minute, every second of every day. Um, but that it's, uh, with, with all of that too, um, you know, that that's yeah. re- what you're really referring to in terms of the problem solving there was was I, th- I I'm assuming is was the integration of the the middle 60 absolutely so what absolutely. that did was it it took um, a limited market yep. if you were to stick with the traditional business model because mm-hmm. I, I I think you you probably could open up a couple more day practices in the greater Marathon County area absolutely um, you could probably survive mm-hmm. Um thrive Eh, probably not Eh. hard to say there's an there's there's enough of a market um where it could you could do some but not to the point where i feel like you would solve that problem yeah um so what so that's that was the expansion that was that was the well why don't we just be available right why don't we just be affordable why don't we just i mean yeah you're gonna do more work along the way Mm -hmm. um yeah but Yep. If it's going to solve this problem, if it's going to remove a stressor from your life, yep. if you're going to have more self worth, mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 weird too that um, I'm not a vet. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've struggled with it in other industry, you know, in a pat previous careers and all that sort of stuff. I work up front right. when I'm on the in the in the clinic. Right. It, it, it the the level of self worth that I feel is astronomically higher mm. when I'm the days that I'm there. Like mm. not to say that they, you know, it, it yeah. wasn't there before, right, but it's right. like holy crap. Where did that come from? I yeah. was just here for 12 hours. Yeah. I'm beat. Right. And all I can think about is how I want to do it again. Right. It doesn't make any freaking sense. <laughs> it was right. literally the 4th of July. Yeah. I was driving home. Yeah. I could barely keep my eyes open. Yeah. I'm like, man, I'm so excited for tomorrow. Yeah. That was super stressful, yeah. super difficult. It's crazy. Let's do it again. Yep. Um, so, yep. so 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 it was across it works across the organization too. Yep. So when you're referring to your your support staff and your technical staff, yep. um being able to have a business model, problem solving your way into a, pis- a business model that supports all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where my mind goes. Mm-hmm. That that to me is like, yep, that hardline approach is you're yep. no you're nowhere near pulling the leash. It's like, yeah, yeah. How do we just figure yeah. this out, man? Yeah. How do how do we get? What's the solution? Yep. How do we implement it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's my ball game. I love it. Yeah. Um, and which was the one of the primary attraction factors for me, yeah. just as an individual. So yep. uh, go team. Yep. Yeah, no, and it's yeah, again, it's it's just that that toppling the hierarchy and you know really just working with people's strengths, you know, and yes. that, that's exactly it. Is you know we identified I think a year and a half ago I was done. I was done having veterinary people at the front desk. I was done with it. Yeah, you know, is the 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 trend of so the skill set right? So we talk about deteriorating skill set. What happens in like every practice? You know, is you have a veterinary student or a veterinary technology student who's working your front end, who's learning the front end process, and we're going to train you in our organization by having you answer the phones first and dealing with people. Mm-hmm. But the whole time you are there, your mind is on the other side of the door. Right. Your mind right. is in back. You're trying to think about patient care. You know, you want to just stand back there and watch. You know, I want to look and see, you know, and it's now don't get me wrong, there are clinics where you have people that have been working the front end for 20 years. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there are those ingrained people, but we're talking about the typical trend of how you're right. bringing people in the organization. And the it, earn it, your place. Model. Earn your place, yes. Earn your place. The hierarchy is you start at the beginning and you work your way up. Yeah. You know, you start at the front and you work your way back. You know, yeah. that's how we do it. Uh, and I was done with it. You know, mm-hmm. because it's, you know, you're, you're turning your staff over uh, and it's not even that you're losing staff. It's just, you know, you're training them for this one job and then they move in back and you got to train the next person. They move in back, you got to train the next person and they move in back or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And I'm not saying all businesses are run that way, but I mean, I, I think it's, you know, kind of a trend, at least in some capacity. Um, but to get people who are people, people and get those people, people up front. And, right. you know, I, I think, you know, to say that the, my front end has zero animal experience. Oh. I mean, I you know, it. yeah, marketing and strategic that. planning, uh, Grant uh, design. is design. Sarah has uh, master's in, uh, ooh, 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 I'm going to remember, that. Yeah. I'm going to remember, it was, uh, oh crap, uh, recreational management. Yeah, recreational management. I couldn't yep. get the word public That's out of right. my head because yeah, 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 yeah. I was thinking of yeah, uh, Parks, and, Parks and Rec. Yeah, Parks yeah. and Rec. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Masters. Yeah. Masters in, in uh, recreational management. Yep. You know, so it's like the, you know, the individuals that we have in those positions, it's like they're not coming in with these strong veterinary experiences, but guess what? They're good with people. They are. You know, yeah, and, absolutely. You know, and so again, I think it comes back to, um, you know, looking at, acknowledging that we have so many different things we can bring to the team and each of us have our own individual talents for the team um, and recognizing that, you know, and this kind of gets us into our core values of sort of serving the patient. Um, that's all we're there to do, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes in spite of ourselves, but um, yeah, it's that enthusiasm. It's infectious. Yes. You know, when you're in this type of an environment where it's, 
you know, I'm not saying that we don't have our spats. It's not like a perfect utopia. Mm-hmm. You know, we sometimes have uh, qualms between staff, but we learn how to get through it. We learn right. how to get over it. Um, we do it in a very respectful way. And, you know, it's like we had two of our employees, um, where uh, they just weren't seeing eye to eye, not seeing eye to eye. It's like, all right, girls, come on, come on. Right. You know, let's get through this. And it was just a simple misunderstanding from a week before. And now they're way stronger now as an employee team than they were even before that that uh, mm-hmm. conflict had occurred. So part of its core values, of course, is all conflict resolution as well. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I think, you know, we've gone uh, about, you know, over an hour here, yeah. um, hour 15, hour 20, um, you know, on sort of just discussing talent. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think, I think at the end of the day, the, the general discussion is that, you know, what we have, what has happened to us as a profession is we've really lost our self-worth and our individuality mm-hmm. single-handedly is the next biggest problem between, the failed bond spectrum alignment and culture to then coming into this loss of self-worth in the talent category um, to then coming into our lack of infrastructure within the service industry is going to be of course the third video that we have. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we're going to start to have lots of videos related to discussion or uh, to to solutions rather. Solutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so this, the the moral of the story is stay tuned, right? Because because don't get me wrong, do we all? I, I feel like starting in the middle, um, extremely yeah. necessary. Absolutely. We all have to sit on the same page yep. to understand where these mm-hmm. solutions are coming from. Yep. Um, yep. But yep. yeah, yep. Uh, I feel like that was a pretty pretty well uh, put together description of these these, these three elements. Yeah, um, there, there may be four, there may be five, but right. you know, for the most part, what we look at is these being kind of your major hot topics yeah. on why we hate ourselves. Yeah, right. Know, <laughs> you know, essentially. <laughs> what, you know. What's wrong with me yeah, today? Right, yeah. Where and do I pick this from yeah, today? And we all suffer from it, you know, yeah. especially, I mean, I think since, you know, we started Paw Health and since we started working together, um, all of that has completely melted away. You know, I, my, mm-hmm. my thing is when I have someone we'll talk about this in core values, but when I have someone come in the door and they punch in as an employee, I don't want them to worry about money. I don't want them to worry about the health of themselves and their family. You know, I don't want these things to be worries in our organization. Check your ego at the door, check your problems at the door. And we're going to start to treat and manage patients because that's what our patients rely upon us to do. Mm-hmm. But you, if you don't have, again, if you don't have good income, if you, you know, have a lot of these skill set issues, if you have a lot of these other problems and that's what you're coming in with, um, we have problem or we have solutions to some of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately end of the day, um, to work on that category is an acceptance of the solutions that we've had. Mm-hmm. And it's not saying that it's a perfect solution in every scenario, but it comes back to as we just have a lot of ways we can help people. Right. And exactly. you know, the loss of talent, we know that it happens. We know that everyone's out there with this feeling and we're here to help. Yeah. So I yeah. think that pretty much kind of wraps up our talent discussion. Yeah, absolutely. The next, next up is going to be service. Um, at least one of the major, major problems in service, uh, again, is our overall lack of infrastructure, uniformed uh, lack of infrastructure within the profession. It's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a particularly heavy business discussion because, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's again more so of like general practices of, mm-hmm. you know, how, how operations are and the state of affairs. So we're just going to continue on our why, asking yeah. why, asking why, asking why, asking why. Yep. Um, so... Thanks for kind of hanging in there, guys. Um, We'll see you guys next time around.